0: Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. Well, welcome everyone uh, to The Rocks, especially if you're here for the very first time. If that's you, I just want to say how honored we are. We are, I mean this. I am honored that you would come. Uh, for some of you, that might have been a bit of a, a challenge to come. Some of you may be grown up in a tradition where you're thinking, if I walk into that building, will it stay up? Or will something happen to that building and it might burn down? So if that's you and you like crossed over that kind of courage line today and you said yes to coming to church for whatever reason it is, maybe somebody promised you a free lunch afterwards. Or maybe they said, man, there's some really cute girls that go to this church. You should maybe think about coming. Or guys, you know, maybe that's your reason. I don't know what your reason is, but I am thrilled that you are here, especially if you're a guest with us today. If you're watching online, thanks so much for joining us. We are glad that you are with us today. And to kick things off, I would love to play a little game. All right. You guys mind? I... I Just so you know, my background, I was a PE teacher back in the day, so I took like four years to learn how to blow a whistle, and I am really good at it. I got a degree in whistleblowing, so I would love it if you would play a game with me. Would you stand? If you're able to. If you would stand, that would be awesome. And for those of you that are watching online, maybe you're in a cafe and you're going to stand. That's going to be a little weird. That's okay. You can play along as well, or maybe you're at home. Uh, Just stand with us wherever you're at, and we're going to play a game called Face-off, all right? And the game is very simple, okay? Face-off is simply this. I'm going to bring up in just a moment some images on the screen. There's going to be two options, okay? And the way this works, this particular edition, by the way, of Face-off is called real versus fake. So one of the images is going to be real and the other one's going to be fake. And you, as an audience participator in the game, you have to choose which one you think is real and which one you think is fake. And the way you do that is by facing off, face off, hence the name of the game, facing in the direction of the side of the image that you think is real, okay? If you're still facing the front, you will be eliminated. If you are facing the wrong direction, you will be eliminated, okay? This is not a game for every generation. There are some generations that believe everyone wins and everyone gets a trophy. This is not one of those, okay? You will actually, be eliminated. Some of you are laughing. It might be your generation that we're talking about. I don't know. All right. Let's not point at other generations this morning. Now we're going to do a kind of a practice round. I call this the grace round. Okay. We're going to give you just a practice round. If you don't get it right, you'll have some grace and we'll let you stay in the game. But unlike Jesus grace, it ends there. Okay. His keeps going, not in face off. First round is the grace round, all right? Let's go ahead and bring up the image on the screen. Which of these Nike labels do you think is real, and which one do you think is fake? Some of you are staring intensely at the thing, trying to figure out, oh, I think, is it the red one or the gray one? All right, I'm gonna give you three seconds to choose, and then if you're still facing me, you'll be eliminated like the people that got it wrong, all right, three seconds. Three, two, one, bring up the answer. All right, so if you were facing towards the gray, then you would have been correct. Everybody facing red or still facing me, you would have been eliminated. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Some people were here at the earlier service, some on the front row, I might say. They're cheaters. We're in church. You're part of the problem with the building burning down. Don't cheat in church, all right, all right? So let's, let's keep it honest, here we go. All right, the next image. Which is the real diamond and which is the fake one? All right, which is the real, which is the fake? All right, some of the guys in the room, you're hoping right now you didn't spend a lot of money on a fake diamond, that's what you're thinking. All right, I'm gonna give you three seconds. You got three, two, one, and the answer is Wow. It doesn't take much to get this crowd going on a Sunday morning, that's for sure. All right. If you guessed the wrong direction, or you're still facing me, or if you're at home in temporary indecision online, you have been eliminated. All right, let's bring up the next one the Gucci label. Got any fashionistas in the house? Some real fashion icons? Which of these labels is real? Which one is fake? All right. Which of these is real? Which is fake? You got three seconds to make your decision. A couple of people in the audience still facing me. It's making me nervous. All right, a couple of people, I see you out there. Three, two, one. The answer is this way. All right. We got some people still in the game, okay? On the line, by the way, on the line, is a free barista coffee from Kind Coffee Co that I'm going to buy for you, okay? I'm excited to do this today. All right, here we go. The next one, for all you ladies in the room, the handbag collection. Which of these is a real Louis Vuitton, and which one is a fake one, like the one I accidentally got for my wife in New York City in the wrong street one time. I don't know why I did it, but I got a fake one, all right? Which one do you think it is? You gotta make a decision. You got three, two, one, And the answer is, okay, we got some people still winning. All right. If you got it wrong or you were facing me, you've been eliminated, go ahead and take a seat. Let's up the ante a little bit. The Rolex watch, talk about pricey. This is one that there are a lot of fakes out there, folks. Don't be deceived, there's some fakes out there. Which one do you think is the real one? and you don't have the benefit of seeing the, you know, the hand, the minutes, you know, the one that moves smoothly, you just have to guess, all right? Here we go, in three, two, one, the answer is, oh, a couple of people down the front row, they chose at the last second and they chose wrongly. Okay, all right, we got a few in each section, this is great. This section over here, you guys are crushing it over here comparatively. Hopefully everybody online watching is still in the game. All right, last one, we're gonna bring it up on the screen. Two plants. Now, I tend to personally, I like fake plants. They're a little easier to take care of, okay? I still spritz them just to get the dust off of them. I still spritz them, I water them. Which one do you think it is? Do you think it's the left or the right? Which one's the fake? And which one's the real? I see some finger pointing going on. I see some people cheating by talking to their neighbor, trying to find out. This is church, folks. No cheating. All right, here we go. You got three, two, one. And the answer is? They are both fake. And I think this gentleman up the back, I think he picked it. He was facing front, so see me afterwards, sir, and I wanna buy you a coffee. Congratulations. Hey, give everyone a big round of applause. Thank you for playing along with that game, and thank you for those of you that are online that played along with that game. That game has almost nothing to do with what we're gonna talk about today. Actually, that's not true either, that's fake. Has a lot to do, has a lot to do with what we're gonna talk about today. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I sat down after dinner on our couch in our living room, and we decided to watch a movie. I had no idea what I was in for. The beginning of the film was quite humorous, and then it got serious, and then it got humorous again. I was laughing hysterically, but probably about three quarters of the way through the film, the emotions inside of me because of the story literally was like a knot inside my stomach. And as the movie came to completion, all of the emotion inside of me just came out. I was sobbing uncontrollably. I couldn't stop sobbing. It was such a powerful, powerful story. Such a powerful story. My wife, fortunately for me, she was sobbing as well. So I. Didn't feel like I had to trade in my man card and be like, am I the only one crying here? You're crying, I'm crying. And I squeezed my wife, Kristen, tight as we watched this story unfold. And the emotion, we were both just sobbing uncontrollably. I thought, for sure, this has got to be a a true story. So I I grabbed my phone afterwards and I Googled it. And I was completely disappointed (laughs) when I found out it was based on loosely... On the story of a man's life but it wasn't the actual story of his life but you know the old adage don't ruin a good story with the facts (laughs) that's kind of how it felt in that moment i don't know what kind of stories you like i don't know what kind of stories move you but here's what i know to be true we are all storytelling creatures we love stories whether it's on a movie or maybe in a song or perhaps it's a book, or even in a conversation. You notice that our conversations are are all stories. Somebody maybe even asked you this morning as you walked in here, hey, how was your week? What did you proceed to do? List out a bunch of facts about your week and a bunch of bullet points? No, you probably told them a story about your week. Recently, I came across a book, which I, I think is a fascinating book. It's called We Are Storytelling Animals. Jonathan Gottschall is the writer of this book and he has this quote that really stuck with me. When it comes to story, he says, we are creatures of story and the process of changing one mind or the whole world must begin, I love this, with once upon a time. Once upon a time. We're all story creatures. We're storytelling animals, Jonathan would say. And when it comes to stories, my favorite kind of stories, my favorite category of stories, so to speak, is the category of stories that I would call a journey. I love stories that go on a journey and the character and you get to see kind of the early days of their life and you get to see them struggle and and then maybe be victorious and, and become the hero of the story. I love stories that are a journal. My son, my oldest son, on the other hand, he likes stories that are a journal, but you know the kind of category of stories he really loves? Xavier loves stories that are a battle. He loves battle stories. He's a superhero fan, you know, kind of guy and fan of things like Marvel and all of those kinds of films. He loves a good battle. When I think of life, I like to refer to life in the category of a journey. I kind of love the idea of I'm on a journey. In fact, I say that when somebody kind of says, Hey, you should probably think about or you could do this better. I always love to say, well, I'm just on a journey. I'm on a journey. And maybe you're not a church person. Maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, but a lot of times, People, even that follow Jesus, refer to the Christian life as a journey. In fact, one of my favorite stories from childhood is the old, old, I mean old, old story called Pilgrim's Progress. It's a great story about a man's journey. But if we're we're being honest, followers of Jesus, our, our story of following Jesus is not just always a journey. As much as I would love it to always be a journey where I think about Jesus kind of holding my hand along the way. We, we sang some things this morning that I love to sing because it reminds me that he'll never fail me. He'll never forsake me. He's always going to be with me no matter what I'm facing. I love those kinds of stories. I love the journey story of the Christian life. But the truth is... The Christian life is not just a journey story it's also described as a battle as well historians would say that when it comes to following Jesus or living the Christian life we are in a battle not just on a journey but where we're in a battle and they would say that we have primarily three enemies historically people would describe the three enemies as this we have the world the flesh and the devil and we don't have time to unpack all the details of those three enemies today and maybe you're here and you'd say all right you lost me perco love the fun game at the beginning face-off was fun but you've lost me now because i don't believe in some guy with a tail and you know a pitchfork and weird ears i'm not sure about this devil thing i i just want to i get it i want to say i i know i get it it seems a bit far-fetched but for the sake of the conversation today, would you just, would you come on the journey with me just for a few minutes? Because I believe that we are in a battle. We're in a battle in our life. And and here's what I'm convinced of the battlefield. If the enemy is the world, the flesh, and primarily this, this devil, this evil one, the battlefield. What my experience has been is that the battlefield of life is primarily Up here that's where the battle primarily takes place it's a battle in our minds the stories we think the stories we create the stories we tell this is where the battle takes place is in our mind and the primary weapon that this evil one this enemy likes to use the primary method or weapon he likes to use is the weapon of a lie. He loves to place lies into our mind that oftentimes become an opinion that then oftentimes lead to a belief. And then it turns into an ideology or maybe even a theology. And then we live our lives oftentimes out of these lies. And for me and for the many people I've chatted with, many of these lies, they oftentimes originate from the same place. My wife, she likes to call this place that it originates from, she likes to call it "fooey." She says, Jason, what you just said, that came from Fooey." Or we had a conversation with some friends and there was a lot of "fooey" in that. Fooey simply stands for this family of origin impacts everything many of the lies that we have picked up along the way in this battlefield of our mind oftentimes come from our family of origin or maybe not necessarily our specific family but perhaps it was our school of origin or maybe it was our friend group of origin Or maybe it was some association or sports team of origin that we started out in. But here's what I've discovered. Family of origin impacts everything. And here's what I've noticed. The lies that we are told, they often become the labels that we hold. This is true in my life. When I was in middle school, I remember being called tiny. I was kind of a a scrawny kid, I grew nine inches when I was in year nine. Prior to that, I was a pretty short kid and I wasn't real strong. And so people would call me scrawny and I picked up this label that I wore of being weak. This lie that I was told turned into a label that I hold of just being weak. Maybe for you it wasn't that, perhaps you had a school teacher or maybe a classmate that said. Uh, you're not the smartest kid in the class. (laughs) And so because of that, you picked up this label like I'm not smart. I'm I'm actually kind of dumb. This lie that you were told became a label that you hold. Maybe for you, you were told you're not pretty. And so because of that or you're not handsome, you took on this label of being ugly. That lie that you were told became a label that you hold. Some of you were told by friends that you're not very authentic. And so you took on this label of I'm a fake. I'm not authentic. People think I'm fake. I'm not really who I am. The one that I have carried in my life the longest, this is the label I've carried the longest. It's the label of just not quite enough. Jason, you're pretty good at that. Decent Decent speaker, you know, public speaker, but you know what? There's other people that are better than you. You're not, not quite enough. If you've worked a little harder, if you read a little more, <laughs> you might be enough, but you're not enough. Some of you, it was the opposite of that. Some of you had people tell you that you were actually too much. Just over the top. You're a little too much for me. Kind of back off a little. You're a bit loud, a little over the top, you're just too much. The lies we're told often become the labels that we hold. I've gone first this morning. I've shared with you some of the labels that I've held and continue to hold. I want to invite you to do something that may be a little challenging this morning, but I want you to grab that label that's on your seat. Maybe you're still sitting on it. Go ahead and grab it out from underneath and that pencil that was on your chair. And I'd love for you to consider as we continue with the talk, what's a label that perhaps you've been holding? What's a lie that maybe you were told that turned into a label that you hold? And instead of writing it on the front of the label, I'd love for you to flip that label over to that back paper section that the label stuck to. And I'd love for you to just be honest with yourself. No one's looking over your shoulder. No one's checking on you. just write, hey, if I'm being honest, this, this is probably the one that I hold. Here are some ones that are very common I've found in conversations with pe- people, the, the, the lie that I'm unlovable. Because I once wasn't loved, that's kind of the deception behind the lie. Because somebody didn't love me once, therefore I must be unlovable. Another one that's often common is this one that I'm a failure. Because I failed something, or maybe I failed it more than once, then I'm just a failure. The deception behind that is because I failed once, I must be a failure. This other common lie is the one that I mentioned before. I have to fake it. If people knew, man, if people knew the real me, if people knew what I had done, so I I just got to fake it. These are oftentimes common lies that we believe that become labels that we hold. So what's the lie you were told or the label that you hold? That's the question. I want to encourage you just to fill that out. What's the deception as you're thinking about that? What's the deception behind that lie or that label? What's the thing behind that that you've been holding on to? What's the deception behind that lie? And then finally, I want to ask you this simple question. Who has the right to label you? This is a powerful question. In fact, in my journey of overcoming these lies that I was told that became labels, I hold this question of who has the right to label you. This has been a powerful transformational question for me to explore. To help you kind of unpack or understand this question. Let me take it out of kind of the human world for a moment, out of the humanity side of things, and let me just ask it in a broader question. Who has the right to label something? An object, a product, who has the right to label it? think clearly one of the people that has the right to label it is the one that created, made it, the one that manufactured it, When I was a kid growing up, I loved playing basketball. I still love playing basketball. It's my favorite sport by far. As a kid growing up, I would oftentimes wear out a basketball and I'd go to buy another one. I always bought the same brand of basketball every time. Starts with the letter S. Anybody know which brand it might be? Spaulding, yes. You can also read the label on this one. That's excellent, good work. I bought this brand because Spaulding basketball is the type of ball that they use in a little competition called the NBA. And I wanted to be like Michael Jordan, and now I'm dating myself, I know, I'm aging. Okay, for those of you in the room, you wanted to be like John Morant or maybe the Joker, who's going to win the NBA title tomorrow, I think. But it's another story. I wanted to be like them, so I always bought the Spaulding basketball. Who has the right to label this? Does Nike have the right to label this? Does Adidas have the right to label? No, they didn't make it. They didn't manufacture the ball. Spaulding has the right to put their name on it. See, the manufacturer has the right to label things. When it comes to humanity, this question of who has the right to label something is an important question. In in fact, it's an ancient question. I want to take you all the way back, all the way back to ancient Israel. The second king of the nation of Israel was a guy named David who wrestled with this very question. And he answers for us the question of who has the right to label us. He says it this way. I love the way he described it. It says this, For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because, look at the labeling he gives. I am fearfully and wonderfully made your works are wonderful i know it full well i love that word that david wrote you knit me together reminds me of some of my relatives that know how to knit really well and 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 i would i would ask them if they could teach me how to knit i lasted about 30 seconds before i realized that is a very complex technique That's what God did. The complexity of the human heart, the complexity of humanity, is something that God wove together. And he says, you've been fearfully, you've been wonderfully made. You are his masterpiece. The manufacturer is the one who has the right to label you. And the label he gives to you, the one that knit you together in your mother's womb, The label he gives you is wonderful. You are a masterpiece. That's what the manufacturer says about you. Not only does the manufacturer have the right to label something, but the the very moment that I would buy a new basketball, I would take it home, and my mom would always tell me to do one thing immediately. She would say to me, Jason, don't forget to put your name on the ball my mom knew all too well i had a propensity to leaving my ball at the playground or at school or at basketball practice the other person that has the right to label something is the one that purchased it not only does the manufacturer have the right to put their label on it but the purchaser too has the right to label the object the same is true when it comes to human life. Not only does God have the right to label us because he created us, he has the right to label us. Oh, this is beautiful, because he purchased us. One of the first followers of Jesus, in the first century, a guy named Paul, he writes a lot about this concept of God purchasing us. And he says these words in a letter that he wrote to a group of followers of Jesus in the first century. He says to these Ephesian followers, he says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul, in another letter, he says this. He says this about the purchaser. He says, You have been bought with a price. And he says the price was the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, the most valuable thing in the world to God, his son, his only son, was the price he paid for you and for me. Does that tell you how valuable you are to your God? You're so valuable that he paid the highest value to have a relationship with you. In the next part of the verse, Paul describes for us what the purchaser says. After he made the purchase, he says this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are his masterpiece. You are his handiwork. You are not useless. I've created you for a purpose. From before you even were born, I had a purpose for your life. You are useful. You are valuable. You are God's handiwork. That's what the purchaser says about you. Who has the right to label you? The manufacturer, the purchaser. They both have the right to label you. And here's what I want to suggest, I want to suggest to you that God has given you some labels that perhaps are different than the one you wrote on the back of the label earlier today. In fact, here are some God labels that I've asked the team to put up on the screen. Look at this labels, this list of labels that God says about you. Grab your label that you wrote on a moment ago, flip it over. And maybe pick one of these on the screen that resonates with you. Maybe it's the opposite of what you just wrote earlier and write down the truth. The truth, replace the lie with the truth of what God says and labels you with. Each of these labels that are on the screen, they all come from a specific part of scripture. For those of you that are not familiar with the Bible, we actually put all of these labels and the the parts of the Bible that they are connected to into a graphic. You can take your phone, scan the QR code up on the screen, and you'll get all of those labels and all the references from where God says these truths about you. For us to change the story of our lives, it first begins with once upon a time. And once upon a time, the manufacturer and the purchaser said that you are his masterpiece. Lately, God has been replacing all of these labels for me with a very simple label. He's been replacing in my mind this script or this story that I am what I do, or I am what I have, or I am what other people think or say about me, he's been saying, no, 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 Jason, Jason, you are not what you do. You are not what you have. You are not what other people think or say about you, Jason. You are my beloved son. That's what he's been saying to me. He's been saying, Jason, take these labels, replace them with the label, you are beloved. What's he saying to you this morning? What's the label that He is giving to you? Our spiritual identity is not in what we do. It's not in what we have or what other people think or say about us. We are beloved sons and daughters of God. Here's what's at stake. Don't miss this, please. As we wrap up this morning, please don't miss this. Here's what's at stake. We oftentimes take these labels... And we carry them through life. And what I've tended to do was I'll try to put something on over the top that will cover up the labels so that nobody can see it. And for me, most of my life this coat has been labeled success. Oh, I carry this label. I'm not enough. It's all good. I'm just gonna work harder, do better, be successful. But we, we tend to, when we put these coats on, when we cover up these labels, here's what we tend to do. We end up living fake lives versus a real life. Not the life that God intended and designed for you, but we live a different fake life. I wanna tell you a story of two moms we land here. One mom grew up in a home where her dad literally, and I quote, would tell her, you're not worth the salt that I put my f- on my food. She has spent her whole life trying to prove her value and worth to other people. So much so that she butts into conversations. She's always trying to push her way to the front. She's always trying to prove I'm good enough because she's never taken off the coat and believed what God says about her. Then there's another mom that I know really well. When she was finishing up high school and she was thinking about what she was going to do next, she was thinking about going to university and studying. Her parents said, well, you know, it's not a bad idea, but You might consider just going to like a a little TAFE or a business college over here and maybe doing something else as a backup. They never told her this, but she took on this lie for over 20 years that she wouldn't be smart enough to do well academically at university. 20 years later, she's raised three wonderful children. Her youngest son is about to graduate from high school and she begins to wonder, what am I going to do what am I going to do after he's out of school? I literally had to drag my wife across the enrollment line of university. She tells me, Jason, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do it. And then she gets her first result. <laughs> High distinction, distinction. Like I said to her all along, you've got more than enough. Her lecturers are now saying you should go on to a master's program because we think you should come back and teach counseling here at the university to other people. She finally took off the coat and believed what God said about her. And she's now a gift first to herself and literally to hundreds of other people as she counsels them to discover what God really says about them. That's what's at stake. So what if we change the label? What if we put on what God says about us, beloved Because I'm convinced of this, when you change your labels, it has the power to change your life and the lives of those around you as well. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website, visit therocks.church.